How powerful is the phrase, I love you. I love you. Hi, this is Neil with Other People's Shoes. I want to call your attention to a new app that I've discovered called World Love Bank. Now, let me tell you something really quick. There's something powerful about the phrase, I love you. It can do wonders to our mental health. It can just make us feel like we matter and that we value that person that we say it to. Now think about this for a second. Think about the person you you. love most in this world. Got him? Now imagine just for a brief moment, imagine if you could never hear the words, I love you you," ever again. That's what World Love Bank is all about. See, what they're doing is they're capturing the I love you's from loved ones that you can go back in and go into that bank like a savings account and withdraw that I love you. you. Even if that loved one is passed because maybe that loved one has banked their I love you and it'll be there forever. So think about that. Check it out right now. World Love Bank on your favorite app store of choice, whether that be Apple iOS or Android Google Play. Check it out now. World Love Bank. I love you. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited that you've chosen to stop by today. In fact, I'm so excited that we stopped by today because I'm back in my home state. I call it my Bethlehem. Now, for those of you who have not hung out long enough, you're okay. Don't worry. I'm going to get you up to speed real fast. So I was born in this little community of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And since then, when I found out where my birthplace was, like maybe some of us, I want to go back there. I want to rekindle what may have taken place, that birthplace. So I say all of that to set the stage, to set the scene for today. I want you to help me welcome in my new guest my new friend, and I'm super excited about her because she is residing currently near and dear to my heart, that place of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Now, she's not in Chapel Hill. It'd be even more awesome if she was, but maybe one day she can relocate. Help me welcome her in. She, of course, is great friends with my friend. Oh, I can't believe I said that word, friend, but I will say it in this moment. My great friend, Jody Howe, who has the podcast, The Air That I Breathe. You might remember her. She's been a past guest as well, but help me welcome in my, as I said, my new friend, Patty Davis. Patty, how are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you. I'm glad we're friends. Hopefully we'll be neighbors. This will be neat. It would be great to be neighbors. I don't think my wife is going to relocate. Just saying. But you're in the Chapel Hills area, correct? No, actually, I am not. I still reside. I still reside out in Oregon, but my heart. Okay. My passion, my soul, in some respects, probably resides in Chapel Hill. Oh, okay. Yeah, my soul remains back in Colorado Springs, Colorado. So I understand. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. I do. I do know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Patty, I'm really excited that we got to connect. I'm really excited to hear your story. I'm really excited to hear others hear your story as well, because to me, I think that's the power of a story is when we hear it, I think it does create in us a little bit of shift in our perspective. What do you think on that? When we hear somebody else's story, we know that we're not we're not alone. And I hope my story turns into really a testimony. I want to make sure we define a story to me as something I tell again and again with no ending. But to me, a testimony means I came through the other side learning powerful lessons. And now I just kind of want to share that my notes, I guess, this life journey I've been on. I'm not the first woman. I won't be the last. I don't want you to take the long road that I had to. So I hope my story 
slash testimony gives you some shortcuts, gives you permission to understand the vocabulary you're exploring right now. As Christian women, you know, I was taught to be polite and pray and don't think tough thoughts. When life is tough, we have to find a voice and push back. So I hope my story helps a woman find her voice. I see, and I love that already. And so that that's what we're looking forward to hearing more about. So let's get into some uh, particulars, if that's okay. So I love to lead off every show with this question. Now, now, Patty, help us with this. Okay. <laughs> what style of shoe do you like to wear? Oh, I'm in a season where I'm wearing Clark's tennis shoes because I don't want to be in orthopedic shoes. I'm of an age where I don't have the healthiest feet right now. Arthritis found its way into my feet, settled in my feet. And so I am very grateful for comfortable, flat shoes. I I even unfortunately have to put a a metal plate in my shoe to protect me because arthritis is kind of eating up the joint. I hope that's not too much information, but I'm trying to be a, you know, a classy older lady. And so the kids love Clark's tennis shoes. So I'm grateful for the leather shoes. You will not see me in high heels because I'll be crying a lot. You put me in high heels. I am afraid of heights. So I won't be in high heels, son. It's got to be comfortable, but they will not be the military masculine orthopedic shoes they're trying to get me to wear right now. So I'm all about comfort. Absolutely. And who doesn't want comfort when they throw on some shoes? I I know of my 50 plus pairs, some may even say 80, depending on, you know, if I get them all together and count them all together. Oh my goodness. I think one day I need to like do a montage, like a reel on Instagram of, you know, maybe all Absolutely. my shoes or something like that. I don't, I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll get the social media team on that. Absolutely. Well, that's a good question. And there's different shoes, different seasons of my life. There's times I had to kind of wear the combat boot for battling. There's a time that I got to relax. So it was more of a sandal to enjoy the, the walk. And then there's because of Colorado, there's the hiking boot so that we could be comfortable as we climbed heights. And then there's the church lady shoes. Majority of the time for my season now, it's comfortable shoes celebrating this walk of life. I'm on. We talk about the combat boots. Yes. And having to go into battle. If I were to ask you a couple of years ago, what's the one thing that kept you from unraveling? What do you think you would say to that? And then maybe going forward, what has kept you from unraveling since? Oh, okay. Well, boy, what has kept me from unraveling is definitely if we're going to look at shoes, if we're going to use that as a theme, it's I made sure that they were laced up tight. They were laced up tight. And I had to make sure that I'd pull maintenance on on um, my laces. You know, there's times they're going to show wear and tear and they're going to get thin. So I had to make sure that I replaced and kept threading, re-threading myself during different seasons of my life. My shoelace didn't snap because you know what happens when you're in shoes and you lose that control of that support. So I think I have laced myself up through my faith in God, through accountability to amazing men mentors. So there's different things to lace yourself up, but I've got to say it was, it was support and really a strong faith that did not let me down. And my shoelaces never snapped under the stress, never snapped. But even getting into your story a little bit, there is this stigma, I think, that still surrounds whether you want to put the label Christian in front of it or not, or women in general. But when you put that word in front of them, divorce, When you put that word, I've been divorced, I think there's still a stigma around that word and around that individual who has maybe carried that branding, if you will. Yes. Help me understand that maybe from your perspective. I was raised in a denomination that literally said, we don't divorce. 
We don't do the big D. And of course, this is a denomination that saved my life and I'm grateful for it. But as I grew up and then got away from it, I realized that, you know, shame on the church. They made sure we women were praying and that we were trying to not rock the boat. They walked around on eggshells to our abusive husbands. And so that was wrong. Really tried to make sense of a confusing marriage I was in within the church. We women, we Christian women get beat up with that word divorce. Tell you when your husband is abusive and neglectful and unfaithful, there's a time you get to stand up. I know I hid in the Bible. I was hoping God would take care of them. So I really love the day the Lord came to me and said, Patty, I want you to close the Bible. I want you to stand up straight. I want you to get past your blind optimism, which means Patty doesn't like to look at the ugliness of what they're doing. He gave me a vocabulary and he walked me through what an enemy would be. And anybody abusing you is your enemy. And of course, churches don't want us to know the scriptures that say you can stand up. You can say stop. So they walked around eggshells on him, but kept me very disappointed and very entrapped. So when I was able to get away from that childhood denomination, I saw what the Bible said about abusive husbands, and I slowly found the strength to use my voice. And of course, when I started to use my voice, not a tone, not an ugliness, just to start challenge the wrong way of thinking, the twisted way of thinking, I found myself standing alone, unfortunately. He chose not to be repentive, not to make a correction. And I had three children that I was accountable for now that were watching his misbehavior while he was still attending church with us. What really helped me in a sad way was the night my teenage daughter saw her daddy drunk in the garage. And then the next Sunday, he's with us in church helping serve communion. And she said, Mama, I don't like that. And she was absolutely right. When you're an abuser, you are a master deceiver. He kept a lot hidden. So I learned how to pray for exposure. And so that particular Saturday night in the garage was an exposure. I didn't have to stand on the table and scream and yell. His folly found him out. And then he tried to come to church the next day. I realized that I didn't want my children warped or twisted within the religious community taking on the abuse. So my new church did protect the children and I and helped us step back and stay away. And that was huge. So divorce isn't what I wanted, but it's what was handed to me in 1998. So Patty, help me understand something. Well, first off, 1998, I I can put myself in your Clark's not orthotic, but kind of orthotic shoes right now in a moment. Because 1997, I remember coming home from cross country practice. Oh, I can tell you the exact moment. I can tell you where my mom was. I can tell you where my dad was in the room as I walked into our main living room of our home. My mom in tears, my dad standing or sitting almost on our wood stove. It wasn't on, should have been maybe in hindsight. Nonetheless, he was sitting on it and he said, pack your stuff, you're moving. That was his statement to me. And I said, I don't want to move. And he said, well, too bad. You and your mom are moving. You need to get your stuff ready and go. And I I remember packing and remember being very angry. And that was what I did not know at the time was the start of their separation in 1997. So isn't it weird how how within a year we're kind of in the same journey? Now I'm seeing it from a kid perspective. You're obviously seeing it from a wife perspective, which I value. But my question that I want to ask you in this moment of that is to say, what would life have looked like? had you had just endured? Because there are some that would say, if we if we really want to get into the, the halo people, right? Their halo's on too tight. Our pastor often says, you know, some of you Christians have your halos on just a little too tight. There would be some that have their halo on too tight right now that would say, you know what, Patty, you should have just endured. If you were a good wife, you just should have endured that. You should have just dealt with that. I mean, come on, for goodness sakes, Patty, God hates divorce. What do you say to those ladies? And maybe even those men who would say that. 
Yeah, mainly the men. I'm going to have to speak to a fool, and I'm not afraid to speak to foolish words. It's not even biblical what you're telling me to endure. Actually, you're speaking to me out of your chicken heart. I mean, I really have found my voice. Shame on you. And I remember an elder shunning me because we don't do the big D. But my ex was an alcoholic. I have grabbed the wheel at the car. My son is in the back, and I have had to grab the steering wheel to keep him from taking us into oncoming traffic. He was sexually immoral. I've had to have have him tested for AIDS. So I finally found the strength to ask this church man. I said, I need you to understand there's five of us in this household. Husband is one and there's four more of us. So please tell me today, what am I worth and what are my children worth? What are you elders waiting for? Are you waiting to get a phone call to visit us at the intensive care of a hospital? Because Timothy and I have been in a horrific accident with George. Are you waiting for me to have to start intensive drugs because of an incurable STD he gave me? I just asked that elder, why are you asking me to endure these things? When will you hold him accountable? There's five of us in the Davis boat. And I love the story of Jonah. He was disobedient. The other people in the boat knew someone was being disobedient. And they threw Jonah overboard to save the rest. And I really felt like that's what took place in my life is we threw Jonah overboard. So he didn't take the whole Davis ship down. And through his fear, his trembling, he had to work out his salvation. I am not his God. I am not his savior. And why is there a standard for me to be accountable, but not these abusive men? And I feel the church will be held accountable because George has been able to go on and develop a religious spirit with a lack of accountability. And that's dangerous for both of us. They should have held him accountable. So I hope I've kind of answered that, but that was a big thing for me to find my voice and tell the church, tell me what I'm worth. Well, first off, thank you for being willing to share that. I I value that and I appreciate that. There may some that would even say, Patty, it's your fault partially that you guys got a divorce. It's it's your fault. You had a part to play in that. You failed in some way as a wife. How do you respond to those that would maybe say that or think that? First off, that's awful to think for my sake. It is I, I just want to clarify, think. Neil is not saying this, some would say, but Neil is not. No, no. Oh, I understand. I understand. And you know, I am very grateful that I, that didn't come at me because I had walked upright with these children with this congregation for a long time. And again, I would pray for the exposure of the husband. So his exposure spoke out. But again, it goes back to me being able to ask them, tell me what I am worth and why must I endure this? When your husband has a sexual addiction, that it is an unappeasable appetite that is not natural. When they choose to be an alcoholic and endanger you with guns and wrong bullets and police showing up, there's time to draw a line. Why am I not, as a Christian woman, allowed to draw a line and say, stop, stop? And that's what I did. I saved my life and I saved my children. Do you know where we would be if I had submitted and stayed? Oh my goodness, my daughter Crystal would have probably had multiple babies from multiple men. She is 22 years into marriage, celebrating a healthy, decent marriage. Kevin would have been strung out on drugs and into that wild way of living. My younger son would have been addicted to the painkillers because of an injury. We would have been so dysfunctional if we'd stayed with him. We were dysfunctional 
with him. We came out from under, and I need you to understand I didn't step on him, but we were able to come out from under and move around him. And he was willing, I promise you, to join us at any time that he could recover. We always left the door open. They love their daddy. We just wouldn't let drunk man come around. We would have been very dysfunctional and we found function. I remember the the church and people trying to say the Davises are dysfunctional, but I went to the dictionary and to be without function is to not have a purpose. And we had a purpose. We loved the Lord. We called on him. We talked around the table. We had elders come into the home to to keep us protected. No, we. I had a good fight on my hand, but it was not, I was fighting to keep me safe. The children didn't know until, as you said, they walked into the house one day and mom is in tears. And so the secrets had to be revealed that we were going to be a normal family now as far as divorce. I remember having to just fight for our good name too, because just as you said, people would shame us. Patty's divorced. They're a dysfunctional family. You know, I have stayed single for 21 years. I loved only one man. I put my life in his hands. That was an amazing season. I took good care and now I'm content in moving forward. But I even remember, I want, you know, when I even went to the courts for the divorce, the courts even labeled me, not just the church, but the courts called me a displaced homemaker. I didn't have a formal education or a formal career. And so therefore, when George left, his covering left. And so the courts called me a displaced homemaker. I remember going home and crying and telling God, did you hear what? what they called me to. <laughs> and he's so beautifully, and I hope I'm, I don't know if I've said it before, but I want to say it now. I've always gone to God to let him have the last word. So when you challenged me, church, I went and I let God have the last word. Even when the court said, you're labeled as a displaced homeworker, I went back to God and, and he just told me, he said, Patty, you're not displaced. And he gave me a vision. He goes, I have you and the children in the palm of my hands. He goes, I know where you are at all times. Hold on to me. And that made a big difference. So if you're a Christian woman, it's it's time for the rubber to hit the road. And your God either is or he is not. My God is able to stand us upright. My God is able to give the Davises an amazing, beautiful, resurrected, restored name. Yes, I have three adult children of an alcoholic father and we're all working our way through it. We're all keeping our testimony because we're not the first family and we won't be the last. But I fought hard to not be labeled by anyone. And unfortunately, the church wanted to label us not the world. First off, I I think that is such a mind-blowing statement, what you said there, that nobody has the power to label you but God. There you go. I think that is profound. Resonates on so many deeper levels, not just divorce. It reminds me of of a Matthew West song a couple of years back. He said, hello, my name is child of the one true king. Yes. Absolutely. And to me that, again, it's just such a powerful statement to remind women about. Absolutely. I know when you and I initially had talked and I heard a little bit of your story, I immediately started thinking of people in my heart and in my mind, women that I know who have walked through divorce or who have walked through a abusive marriage or abusive relationship in some form or fashion. And to me, I think you have great encouragement to give to them. Again, dig a little deeper here if we can. Please. Yes, please. It's not all sunshine and rainbows fields of daisies and roses every day. Patty's had some dark moments too. I know it's weird to talk to you in the third person when you're sitting here. There haven't always been those clearing moments. There haven't always been those moments where you were razor focused, laser focused, some would even say. Tell me about one of the darkest moments and how did you get through that? Oh my goodness. I guess there were several, but at the very beginning, what I want to talk to you about is part of the platform I had built and why I endured 
the abuse because I was not educated. I did not have formal training. I felt like, and women will say yes to this. I didn't think I could make it without him. And so I was kind of trapped. I couldn't make it without him. I wasn't smart enough academically. Where am I going to get a career? You're talking 23 years of marriage that was just about to be dissolved because I'd endured more than I should have because I lacked the courage to get away. And I'll never forget the day I drove. I used the word divorce. We were going for it. And it was announced to the, my moral group and, and to George, Mr. D. I'd like to say Mr. D. So I went to my daddy's house. He was a retired medical gentleman in the army. So he had one of those emergency ring cutting kits and daddy cut my wedding band off my finger that day. It had been on my hand for 23 years and it had not come off. And it was my commitment and my commitment was good and strong, but daddy is cutting this ring off of me and we're having to, and it was painful. And we had to separate the metal and slip me out was very symbolic of the band of the bondage I was under. Husband means house band. Mr. D had brought a lot of curses and misconduct into our home. And I was about to liberate our home because I'd stood before God and he says, do it. He gave me permission. But I remember coming home that night. I'm on my back porch under the moon. This wedding band that had been on my ring for 23 years is now in my hand. It's split open. It's defaced but it was like taking off shackles and I was free. And right away, here comes doubt. I knew that our lives were going to be okay, but here comes doubt to say, what have you done, Patty? You're not smart. You have no career. How are you going to take care of these three teenagers? So I sat there and I just told God, I said, this is really happening, Lord. I'm getting a divorce. I made him leave, but what, what am I going to do now? My income's going to be cut 45%. And because of his addictive behavior, after 23 years, there was no estate for him and I to split. There was no savings account to share. I had nothing in reserve to live off of. I've met women that could go on with a career, could go on because they're splitting homes and estates. So women had money to stand on. I had nothing. And that almost paralyzed me again with like, Patty, it can't be that bad. Go back. So I really needed, that was a pivotal point for me to not move from what I knew, not try to heal a broken band and put it back on because we are tempted as women to put the shackle back on because that's all we think that we're worth. But I remember God just talking to me and he came swift and he came with direction. And he just said this, he said, Patty, I know you don't have a storehouse. You don't have a savings account, but I'm going to be with you. I will supply everything you and the children are going to need on a daily basis. When you reach out to me, he said, he goes, I'm going to meet every need every day. And then he said this, and it was beautiful. You have to understand, I had no money. Because of George's curse, we moved a lot. My children have each worked since they were 16 years old. They bought their own first cars, they paid their insurance, and they bought their own clothes. Because now they're being raised by a single mama who's working on groceries, utilities, and mortgage. And God said to me that day, this was a dark hour. And he spoke and he said, Patty, I know you don't have 12 pair of shoes in your closet, but I promise you the pair that are on your feet, I will not let them wear out. So those 12 shoes represented surplus. I didn't have a surplus. That one pair of shoe that he said will never wear out meant his promise to help this single mama get those three kids through life. And they lacked nothing. Maybe financially, if they compared themselves to other kids, I've heard my adult kids say they didn't know how poor we were because I didn't let the poverty mentality come to me. So that was a dark moment because of the temptation to go back 
But I had grown so much, I couldn't even go back into the old mold, into what was familiar if I wanted to. So I just really thank God that he came up, busted up the biggest fear I had is, can I take care of us? I love the story about the the part about the 12 shoes. To me, that's that's so... For me, especially, that's just, that resonated with me, obviously, with what you're sharing. I think so many times, at least for my, myself, I, I can't speak for others, obviously. But I know for myself, when I step out, when I have that moment of clarity, like, okay, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm heading. It's scary. Your dad <laughs> cutting off the ring. Oh, wow. That was good stuff, Patty. I love that a lot. I really do. I truly okay. do. That was, that was good imagery. I, I love everything you shared there. That was that was very good stuff. And I want to yeah, let please. you know a footnote about that wedding band. I remember coming home from my daddy's house and I watch a lot of TV. We women are dram- dramatic. I lived at the foothill of Pikes Peak. So I thought, Lord, what do I do with this wedding band? Do I go to the edge of some water and throw it in there? Do I go to the top of a mountain and throw it and liberate myself? And I heard the Lord say, nah, just put it away in your jewelry box. Well, let me tell you something. We walked with a good healing. My children, again, the church and I never allowed us to really get bitter or unforgiving, kept accountable. So here now down the road, my daughter's growing. She's feeling confident about herself. And now she's getting married. And I get that wedding band out of my jewelry box. And we take it to a jeweler's and we heal that deep cut that is in it. And it was polished and beautiful because what I want you ladies to understand, there's two parts of a marriage. There's the male part and the female part, the daddy part, the mama part. And I did my part. I promise you, I've gone before the Lord. I've laid prostrate. I've done my part. But when he's abusive and he's neglectful and he's addicted, there's nothing you can do but stay safe. So that wedding band represented my part of the wedding, my part of the vow, my part of a commitment to marriage. And I wasn't going to let that be thrown away or flushed down the toilet because of what the other half of our marriage did. Does that make sense to you? No, absolutely. I, I, I think it makes perfect sense to me because, let me just be candid, I think anything God can choose to redeem if he chooses to. Anything and anyone. Well, I think that's his temperament. That's, that's right. why I love him. And I think that's why I'm... That's kind of why I'm gravitated towards him as well as I'm thinking like anything can be redeemed if he chooses to redeem. Absolutely. Redemption is an amazing thing. And this summer, my children are all having their anniversaries. I have three adult children. So we're rolling up on 22, 19 and 17 years. So we broke that curse, didn't we? For sure. So my marriage didn't make it, but my children's marriages are. And I've got a feeling my 10 grandchildren are going to have really strong marriages. I want you women to realize that I could have regurgitated that unhealthy pattern. But I went before the Lord first. I received his permission to stop the insanity. And I stood and I kept my face and my attitude turned toward him. I even followed his instructions, Neil, to not date, to not let another person in to mess with us. We needed to heal. And I am grateful that he gave me that gift of standing still, focusing on three teenage children and getting them through, letting them step into their lives. For sure. I love that. So, Patty, here's my question on your husband. Because let's face it, it's hard to forgive people. I'm sure you're just the best at forgiving people. You could teach a class on how to forgive those because you're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so great at it. You you've got that skill nailed down, right? You you have it in spades as they oh, would mercy. say. <laughs> well, you know what motivated me and you you've heard this. Forgiveness is really first for us. Someone really made me sit up straight. 
when they said, Patty, God has never asked us to forgive. He didn't say, if you don't mind, would you forgive your ex? If you have the time, would you forgive? God commands us to forgive. And what I learned is forgiving was setting my will. It wasn't about my emotions. I wanted to rip his bottom lip off. That's not forgiveness. That's revenge. When I realized that God didn't ask me to forgive, he commands me to forgive. And I trusted that he would give me what I needed as I wrestled. And forgiveness doesn't mean you forget. It does not mean I had to go through lots of counseling for the PTSD of almost being killed. Forgiveness freed me up from the mental torment because when Satan would come and say, how can you? I said, I chose to. I chose to liberate myself. One of the reasons it was harder to to forgive for some women is because then it looks like they get away with it when we choose to forgive. But if he commands it, he has this amazing follow-up and he will help you understand its importance. But it took the hook out of me. I couldn't be triggered. There were memories and there were things that I had to deal with, the PTSD. But forgiveness is an amazing state of mind to be put in. It's a choice of the will. It has nothing to do with emotions. And because I set my face like flint and obeyed that commandment, God came in with the most amazing counsel that helped me truly sit here before you today and know it is forgiven. It's not been forgotten because I have to stay safe. No, I think that's important to remember. So I'm curious of what you think on this, and then I want to try to play a game with you, okay? If you're good with a game. Okay. <laughs> so tell me what you think about this when you hear this. Do you know what forgiveness means? It's a question. It's a decision we make to release a person from the feeling of anger we have against them. Do you know who said that? Oh, did Jesus say that? Not quite. Your mother. No. <laughs> Somebody pretty profound that I am still mad that I have not gotten a chance to meet with and probably will never get to meet with this side of this side of heaven, at least. Ooh. Fred Rogers, also known as Mr. Rogers. What a gentle soul yeah. he was. He says, do you know what forgiveness means? It's a decision we make. Decision. That's the key thing that I'm that I'm kind of hanging my hat on right now. Is yes, sir. A decision we make to release a person from the feelings of anger we have against them. Isn't that Wow. Now, I'm sure you had a ton of anger yes, towards. Sir. Yeah. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But if there's a lady right now, or maybe even there's a man, now I know you speak to ladies primarily, you know, we don't know, but maybe there's a guy out there or a woman out there who's like, listen, you two talking divorce. Okay. You don't know my story. You don't know what they did. You don't know how bad it was. I can't ever forgive them. I will carry that anger. I will carry that hurt with me for the rest of my life. What would you say to that woman or man in this moment? I know it feels like you'll never be able to not be angry, but there's that old cliche, time does heal. You won't stay at that level of anger. You will not stay at that level of pain. It's not even humanly possible. Time will pass. Hopefully you'll get good counseling and you'll learn to process it and choose, learn some tools to walk away from that anger, but time is going to heal it. It really, really, really is. Time is going to heal it. That choice that I make to exercise forgiveness, the choice I made to make sure I set good boundaries, boundaries make me feel protected. I won't ever be hurt again. That person won't make me angry again like that. And that's very empowering, Neil, because I think we're get angry when we think that they're going to ambush us at any time again. But once we know that we found our voice, we stepped up, it will subside. You're going to one day, I guess I would describe it like getting a headache. We know when the headache starts, Neil, but rarely do we stop and mark where the headache stopped. And I think you're going to realize this heartache and this anger is going to subside. And you're going to notice one day that you're breathing easier, your shoulders are dropped, this has become tolerable. Again, you set your will and you make that choice to forgive. 
It is possible, right? It's not, we're not talking about pie in the sky. We're not talking about impossibilities. We are truly talking about this is a concept. This is something that somebody can do. But if I'm hearing you correctly, it still took a choice, a decision, even if we're quoting Fred Rogers. Exactly. A decision to forgive. Absolutely. And remember, I'm talking to Christian women, not women that'll join me for a nice tall drink in the bar so that we can keep belly aching. I'm talking to women that say, I love the Lord. I want to be like him. And my goodness, if Jesus can forgive in his final moments, who am I? I'll never be violated like he was, Neil. My suffering is, is a splinter compared to what he did. And if he's asked me to forgive because he knows the health, the clean conscience that comes from that, if he's asked me, then I trust that he will give me all that I need to do it. So even if you need to go to, to divorce recovery, a 12-step program, you've got to realize forgiveness is bigger than we are. Because in my flesh, I'm a scorekeeper. And I remember the day I had to surrender scorekeeping and self-pity. And I had to get those two attitudes away from me because it was going to devour me, Neil. And I wanted to focus on these three children where their lives were going. So I didn't want to be consumed anymore. Well, again, I, I think that's the power of it all. Again, we could scratch out divorce there. We could put something else in there. And we could say, if, if we're keeping score from people, if we're choosing to not forgive them and we're choosing to think and, and wallow and bellyache and all of our feelings, nothing gets accomplished there. No, and we're really in bondage, aren't we? We're shackled again. I mean, we really have to work it out. And another thing that was sobering for me, as far as not that I was intoxicated, a mental sobering, a moment that made me sit up straight was to realize that I'd been teaching my children about God. And now I was going to need to live out an example before the children that God was able to do what he's spoken in our lives. So I wanted to teach. I guess we never stopped teaching, do we, Neil? As a, as a mom, I wanted to teach my kid that mama went before the Lord and this is how he answered her. And I needed to work hard to walk out that example in front of them. They watched God provide for me every day. They watched me be joyful, have a great sense of humor. So you really will have measurable moments to know that you're doing okay. When you can laugh again, when you can move about again and again, it takes a process, Neil. I'm a cancer survivor. I can actually say cancer doesn't scare me anymore. Just like I can say my, my singleness doesn't scare me anymore. I found new purpose in it. That purpose wasn't going to start until I really came out from under the bondage of unforgiveness. Absolutely. And I think that's just so impactful, important to remember, because again, do you want to stay trapped? Do you want to stay kind of in this palace of, of your own putting yourself into and not being able to get free of that? I, I think that's such an important remembrance to, to call people to, for sure. Absolutely. And remember, there's that cliche that says we reap what we sow. And if I would have reaped that unforgiveness and bitterness, Neil, I would have reaped three children that would have been harmed so much. So women need to understand that if you're going to obey the Lord, then you you get to have his promises. I could have lost my children because of my attitude. I could have lost my children to rebellion, but God kept them teachable. He did that for me. So there is a reward for being obedient. I could have lost my kids to alcohol and drugs, but God kept them joyful and hopeful. I'm amazed at that. I could have lost my kids, Neil, to suicide, but God showed them their talents. Isn't that beautiful? I didn't do it alone, Neil. He was an amazing spiritual mentor to the children and I. I could have lost them to the cults and witchcraft. That was a big thing and it still is today. Their mentors, their employees, their teachers, those that helped me and even God put a desire in them and now they serve and they minister. I could have lost them to laziness. We could have been a victim, couldn't we? 
God stirred in them to be good workers. And they've all, like I said, they didn't know the level of poverty. They just developed good characters and good work skills. But I had to fight hard through prayer to keep my blessing, Neil. Nothing's given to us. I wanted to take on this good fight. And I wasn't going to be a cursed family in the church. They like to tell us that. Oh, this divorce will visit you for a generation or two. Well, they're taking that scripture out of line, Neil. That was written way back for the Israelites. And again, it was only going to touch one or two generations. If you finish that scripture, it says, but nations will rise out. Patty Davis has two more generations that have come out of her that are stronger than she was. Five years away from becoming a great-grandmother. So a fourth generation is going to be strong. Neil, that's what I want to do. God's sad. He doesn't want divorce. I think the church hates it and they put us under bondage because they don't want to come fight with us. Why didn't they? Why weren't they tougher on George and calling him out to repentance and restoration? They're tough on us women, but we women have to find our voice, take a tone and ask them why. Why? What am I worth? Why are you asking me to endure these things that God won't even let me endure? Jesus Christ has been the greatest liberator of women. Neil, the greatest women's lib. (laughs) Well, again, I think that's so important to remember because I still go back to the fact that after Jesus is resurrected, the first person he comes to after he's resurrected is a woman. So if he really hates women, which I've heard people say, Jesus hates women. Oh my goodness, no. I have truly heard that. That's not just the thing I'm saying. No, 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 you're right. We have to know what some controversy, but I've heard people say that. And my pushback, okay, so if he does, if he does, I'll go with you on that. If he does, why did he start with a woman when he came back? Yeah, we're tender and we're teachable. (laughs) He delights. We were his idea, Neil. We were his idea. <laughs> I love that. Truly. I love it. And when I want to, and I want to encourage women too, is God's going to help you rebuild your legacy. You won't even realize it. But if you will really come before him, again, I think walking in forgiveness gives me a platform to enter into his presence, Neil, and ask for his help. If I harbor unforgiveness and bitterness, I'm blocking his counsel. So I remember he would wake me up at night and tell me to go. I would go to each of my children's bedrooms and I would anoint their heads while they slept at night because I wanted my blessing. We were not going to be called displaced. We were not going to be dysfunctional. And God just restored us. So we're a testimony of a family that, yes, husband didn't fulfill his place, but we were allowed to come out from under him and his abuse. And we stepped around him, not on him. And he can join us at any time, Neil. He can join us at any time. All right. Last question. Then I want to play a game with you. Okay. You've told me a couple of times he can join you at any time. So let's say Mr. Davis calls you up after he hears this episode. He's one of the few that reaches out and says, listen, Patty, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I mean, I did know. I didn't really know. I want to restore our marriage. I want to be the man that God has called me to be. David was called a man after God's own heart. I want to be called after God's own heart. Would you take him back? Yes, I would. But he's married right now. But I know I would. This was my, you're so cute. He's my high school sweetheart, the father of my children. And we were always ready for repentance, Neil. I promise you, I was always ready to watch for that. But there was a point where God said, Patty, I can't go past his will. You know, you aren't his savior and, and we're wooing him and I'm blessing him and I'm giving him opportunities. But no, if he had humbled himself and he has apologized, there's there was kind of a miracle of kindness between him and I, Neil. I just call it a miracle of just kindness between us. But I had set a good boundary. Addictive individuals still want to justify their behavior. But now if it was real, we would go to counsel. I would definitely have my fleece. I would definitely have my mentors. I would definitely have those that would hold both of us accountable and we would walk through it. I'm not afraid of restoration and I've seen it again and again and I applaud it. 
I'm not a, a male basher. I'm not a man hater. That would be delightful. In fact, that I've stayed single shows you I've only given my heart to one man, Neil. It's fantastic. Well, Patty, first off, I, I know there's the book that's coming out. It's being reprised. It is going to be available soon. So where is the best place people can go pick up your book and learn more of your story and more of you and more of your passion of who that is? Where can they go and do that? Okay. Thank you, Neil. Well, what I'd like you to do is what I'd like you to do is visit my new redesigned website. I feel like I'm just kind of coming out now. This is fun. So the website is Patty, and I like to spell it with an I. So it's patty-davis.com. And you can go and kind of take a peek at me. You'll see the old book. Um, there'll be a stamp across it. If you're really ready, then just get hold of me on my website through email, and I'll send you the older copy. I'm just going to refurbish it. And so the book is kind of on, on a scale of one to 10. It's hanging out at a pretty six, and we're bringing it up to a 10. Plus, it's been seven years since I wrote it. I've matured a little bit more. There's a few more elements people have asked for. So you can get the book. Just just contact me through my website. I'll be glad to send you the older copy. If not, we'll definitely be doing a book launch when it comes out. With It'll be out by the fall. The new, the new piece will be out by the fall. And then again, you're going to walk through many. You'll just walk through one chapter with me but I've got chapters of the, the, the childhood abuse. I've been left with a brain injury from a car crash, successfully raised three three children, walked through, of course, unfortunate uh, depression, a life-threatening cancer that they only gave me three years, homelessness because of where finances and things were. So I've tasted a few things, Neil, but my book's called Peace in the Pressure Cooker. And I just help women equalize the pressure from the inside out. Your circumstance may not change, knowing the Lord, asking for his help, letting him come inside of you really does equalize the pressure. And I hope that's the testimony I get to give with being a divorced woman. And you know, nobody calls me that. And I don't call myself that. I'm just Miss Patty Davis, fulfilled, happy, single woman. I don't even date. And I'm not that I'm fearful, but I'm just really like where I am right now. And I feel good about it. And we're allowed to be single. So let's play a game together. You good with that? Okay, very good. Now remember, I have a brain injury. Oh my goodness, so come on. Don't make me think fast. Go slow. Speak All right, slow, here we go. Neil. So this is our okay, game we, we like to call Senseless, Patty. So a little senseless, a little oh. humor at the end of our show involving our I five senses it. and then six of those are wild card. Now, you know, I'm a big Tar Heels fan because you're in that neck of the woods. So today especially is a sacred day, but, but we're going to move past today. <laughs> we're going to look forward to Monday. So anyway, so here's my Tar Heels cup. I got a die in there. You can see that there. I'm going to roll for you. I sure do. I'm going to roll on your behalf. All right, you got this question here. It's number five. Number five. Number five is this. What is something that you taste that always seems to get a reaction? Well, and I hope it doesn't have to be a negative thing, but when I taste smooth, creamy chocolate, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm All my senses just settle down. My hand stops quivering. It's almost like what tobacco would be to a good old country boy. I just have to put an M&M or, or a chocolate covered raisin right between my, my cheek and my gums and I settle down. Oh, chocolate. That sensation is phenomenal and it keeps people safe around me. My kids have fed me chocolate when they can tell I'm getting upset. It's like, quick, get her chocolate. So chocolate's phenomenal. Almost <laughs> reminds me of the Snickers commercial a couple of years ago. They're yes, like, I love you're just those. not yourself right now. And then the animus, oh, that's better. Okay. Like, quick, get her, Snickers. Yes, get her yes. Snickers. Get her Snickers. She'll be good. <laughs> be good. Yeah. Chocolate. Well, Patty, first off, I want to say thank you. Oh truly. my goodness. Thank you so much for the, the moments you gave us today. I hate to say this, but I will say it publicly. Thank you to Jody for introducing you and I together. 
I hate to say that. Don't tell her I said that. All right. We're going to maybe have to, you know, I don't well, know. We're, you're going to have to work but... on that word hate. So let's just get you know, some therapy right? and let's just I know, time yeah. heal I, it. I, I do use the word hate too often. <laughs> I knew you needed to work on that. So yeah, absolutely. That was a mom moment. I felt like I just got mom there for a moment. I want to thank you, sweetheart, for just the way you love the Lord, the way you love and you respect that we're all in different shoes. Because that's what the heartache is, is we don't respect the shoes of each other. It kind of sounds biblical, doesn't it? So thank you, young man who has been a survivor. You've had to be healed of a broken home. So thank you for forgiving us parents when we missed the mark for you, Neil. We did not mean to do that. I'm sorry we didn't have it together, Neil. But thank you for finding out who you were, moving forward with who that is. And you have children, Neil, and you're rebuilding your damaged legacy. So, Neil, thank you for knowing who you are, sweetheart. Thank you. That warms my heart a whole lot. <laughs> Thanks, Patty. Appreciate that. Guys and gals, kids and campers alike, that is the end. That is the sadness of our show today. But as we go, I want you to walk away and I want you to think about something as, as we as we go. But before we go, I, I want to call this to your attention. So help me with this. I don't care what you're doing right now. Stop, whatever it is. Just take a moment and stop. If you're driving, I would encourage you to pull over or maybe mentally in your head, stop. How many of you walked through divorce? Like you're a kid of divorce, your parents were divorced, maybe you yourself went through a divorce. How many of you did that? Show of hands, just right now. Just put your hands up, wave them around like you just don't care because you don't care anymore that your parents were divorced, right? You don't care anymore that you've been divorced, right? You've passed all of that. You've gotten over all of that, right? You don't care anymore about that. I have a hunch. I'm not a psychic. I'm not a mentalist. I'm not a guy that knows your heart, but I would be willing to put some money down on a table in Vegas that you still, in the heart of hearts, in the part where no one gets to, that wall of Jericho, you still care. You still are hurt. There's the little girl inside of you. There's the little boy inside of that is still hurt by divorce. And you're carrying it with you even to this day. Let me help you with something. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It was never your fault. It wasn't your fault that your mom and dad got divorced. It wasn't because of your bad behavior. It wasn't because they didn't love you. And wives, husbands, it wasn't because your spouse didn't love you. It wasn't because they didn't do any of that. It's the hurting people hurt hurting people. And let me tell you right now, I want you to think about that. How do you feel about divorce in this moment? How do you feel about it? Take a moment right now and think about that. Because that's what I love best about this show is the perspective shift that comes. Take a listen to what Patty says. Take a moment right now and think back to that. Okay? That's all I'm asking. Just consider what you've always thought about it. Consider what you've always thought about it. With that said, let's get on out of here, right? Don't forget. Of course, do not ever forget this. Remember, remember when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.